actually it's true that I would very much like it to be more uh, question answer sessions and I am a bit afraid of starting to speak because sometimes I don't know where to stop. So question answers open a very wide field and I am sure every one of us has tried some method or the other of self-mastery. I think uh, it's inbuilt within our human nature and someone who doesn't feel the urge to master oneself, um, strictly speaking it's difficult to say that it's we as human beings. Because human beings are driven by need for mastery um, of oneself and of the world we inhabit. Unlike an animal nature which is driven by its own instinct, forces, impulses and so on and so forth. So need for self-mastery, the will for self-mastery is there in human beings and nature leads us towards it. It has its own way of training us. More and more we discover that um, why, why should we have self-mastery? One of the very simple things is that we as human beings, though we think it's my nature, my personality, basically we are representatives and all the forces that move in creation are the same forces which are within us. So a self-mastery actually very naturally is a means which helps us towards world mastery and not vice versa as we normally think that if we know all the forces of this world and master all the things we can master ourselves, it doesn't work like that. It is Swarat followed by Samrat. It also means that the more we master certain forces within our nature, the more we exert this mastery quite naturally, spontaneously on corresponding forces outside and thereby become masters of fate. Because actually if we really take a close look, what really is fate? It's a very ambiguous word and people blame it on karma and ultimately it is basically unconsciousness of the forces that move us and obviously lack of mastery over the forces that move us or move this creation. And since what is within is also outside, the more we master ourselves, the more we begin to master the forces that create what we call as fate. Let's take for example, simple thing like an illness, physical illness. Now, physical illness, somebody would say it's karma, somebody would say it is germs, somebody would say it's genes. But the fact is that in those who have worked towards awakening a physical consciousness and really exercising a degree of will over their bodies, somehow they remain relatively healthy, especially people who live largely in physical consciousness, they remain healthy. As the mind and the vital comes in, that balance is disturbed. But the simple fact that one has mastered one's own body or some of its own movements helps us to master the forces of illness which come from outside. So if we really want to master fate, which I am sure uh, all of us at some level want, we don't want to remain helpless slaves in nature. Man is not built for that. So um, we have to work towards self-mastery. It leads us to the next natural question. Uh, how do we do self-mastery? So market is flooded with all kinds of uh, from techniques to gadgets, all kinds of things from Nirvana in 14 days to 7 day course and 
pay up some money and you become a self-master after it. It doesn't work. I wish it was so simple. Sometimes people ask me that, I'm having a lot of anger issues, what should I do? So one of my responses, I wish it was so simple. It needs tremendous patience. If you really look at people who have gone through the path of self-mastery, we have a glowing example of Shurabindo. And how, you know, even the smallest of smallest errors, he notices, even at that level. And he speaks of a perfect perfection. And we know there are examples of even spiritual people who have realized the self and definitely they are at a very high plane of consciousness, yet not able to master even their anger. It's a well-known thing or their speech. So self-mastery is not as simple as it appears. In our ignorance, it appears very simple because we normally mean by self-mastery a control over our external behavior, which is, we know, a facade. Good salespeople know how to control their outer behavior. And very often we judge people based on their outer behavior, whether they are actually mastering their nature or not. But it's a facade. And this facade breaks down, especially if one starts living in a field like Pondicherry. You will notice because there is an intense pressure of truth. And it doesn't work because you can't wear masks. But we have learned to wear masks and we call it self-mastery. Meaning thereby, I am angry inside but I don't express my anger. I am uh, boiling inside but outside I am wearing a very calm countenance. So certainly that is not self-mastery, far from it. And sometimes very dangerous because it gives an illusion to somebody as well as worse still to ourselves. That look, we have mastered ourselves. So the first prerequisite of self-mastery is honesty. So when we look inside, we have to be very honest. And um, you know, this capacity of, and um, we are very, not only honest, over honest when we are critical of others, but extremely dishonest when we look inside. And so one of the first things that we come up with is everybody is bad and I am the only good guy left in the world. And uh, as we begin to look at ourselves honestly, we will see that there is nothing which is in another person which doesn't move us. And nothing means nothing, nothing, nothing. It's the same forces, it's just the combinations are different. This is the first discovery. And the second discovery which is even more disconcerting is that our house is in utter disarray. First thing that strikes when we start looking at ourselves. People often, you know, looking at ourselves, a wonderful exercise and they sit for reflection, then come out very peacefully. If one really takes a hard look inside, one discovers that there is a whole, the whole house is in chaos. Look at our own being. Start from the morning. We take a bath or even before that. What are the number of thoughts that are coming to us? Just the thoughts. We will see that it jumps from one point, today's menu, oh I must remember the divine, oh I am having a little itching here, oh so and so had told me this yesterday. Just a few minutes and it's a chaos. Just at the level of thoughts, at the level of feelings. We all know how we should feel. We all teach everybody think positive. But when the person asks, how do I think positive? That's where the rub lies. Everybody knows that we should think positive. So, this entire chaotic life that we are leading within begins to reflect in our outer life. 
Very often people say, oh, why destiny has done this to me? Why is there chaos in my life? Well, it's simply because there is a chaos inside and we need to sort this out. Now, how do we sort out the chaos? First of all, we must know where things are to be kept, each thing. The first basic thing, when we enter a room, there are various ways. Now, let's look at like arranging the room. We all know that children arrange the room very differently than mothers do. No, it's very very strange. Why? Because children have a very practical understanding of how to arrange their room. They just want that I have put my phone there. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about you know it may fall. It's cute. But they like to arrange it like that. Very practical way. But when mothers come and arrange the same room, they have other considerations in mind. So the first thing is what is that light with which I am going to decide what goes where. That's the minimum, just arranging the room. Mastery goes still deeper. So just arranging the room means, let's say a very simple thing. How much time, how much value do I give to certain things in my life? Simple act of prioritizing. How many times, let's say we fix a time that we are going to sit for meditation. And we get a call from a friend. We are just about to enter the ashram and we get a call from a friend. Now what happens? We are on the top chatting and after some time we realize oh 20 minutes I thought of sitting there, doesn't matter 15 minutes I have chatted with the friend, 5 minutes is fine I will go and come back. So what have we done? We have given more priority to certain things which actually may be of much less value. One of the reasons why there is disorder in the world is that we give lot more value to certain things which have actually much less value. Let's take another example, especially in the Indian setting, marriages. So people must attend marriages. Whether they, you know, <laughs> I have seen people saying, I, I was coming for Darshan day, but I cancelled my program. Why? Because a marriage has come up. Now imagine just for a moment that it was a real Darshan. We take it so casually. If if we were coming to actually meet Mother and Shurbindo. So would I say that my cousin's marriage is there. Therefore, uh, Mother, I am not coming today. I will come next, next person day. We do not because we, have, we don't value it. We value something else. So it's so important to prioritize these things in life. Sometimes we spend a whole lifetime earning so much money. And at the end, we don't know what to do with it and how to spend it. But we have spent so much time and we have not gathered the wealth of the spirit. So first thing is to prioritize, to know what should be put where, what is priority number one. And that's why the first question that mother um, advises us to ask, when she was asked, tell us something about yoga. She says, let's talk first things first, not in this many words. But she says, what do you want the yoga for? See, some of these, even Asuric beings had tremendous self-mastery. Shubindu says that some of them can be very religious, very self-disciplined. But that doesn't prevent us from being who we are. So, she says, what do you want the yoga for? And then she ends up with this, that is the divine the very reason of our existence? So, Am I living my life in more simple terms for the sake of the satisfaction of this ego personality, this constructed personality of nature, which 
people know in a certain way, I know in a certain way, and I want to make sure that this personality is kept out there, or at least is recognized, or at least gets what it is, is due to it. This is one kind of life, and then self-mastery becomes very often a facade, only to further our ambition, and that's a very dangerous thing. Or, is my life meant for realizing the divine, serve the divine, to reach the divine? This is the fundamental question. Everything else starts from here. In other words, who do I really belong to? That's what I meant when I kept the topic, the master of the house. Who is really the master of the house? I may try everything right, yet the master of the house is my ego. You know, we have so many interesting stories in Indian mythology. Uh, we have Ravana, we have Hiranyakashyap, and uh, recently I was watching the story of Shani Dev. He does so much tapasya and comes back with same anger as he had. His life is still centered around, I want to prove myself to whoever in the world that who I am. Now, as long as this is the central motive of our existence, self-mastery uh, remains at best a good thing, at worst a very dangerous thing because it means we have mastered the forces of nature but they are at the service of something very dark and dangerous. So that's why the first thing first is who is the number one priority in my life? What, whom does this house called my personality, uh, this body, this mind, thoughts, feelings really belong to? So this is the first step to be taken. Second is, or rather third is, because first is to prioritize. The third step is, we want to master. Master what? When we use the word self-mastery. It's way. We have to master all the movements of nature. Where does nature come from? We don't know it springs. It's, it's very... Um, again, when we start looking inside, we discover that it has roots everywhere. A simple thing like meeting someone who has anger, fills us with anger. It's not like just within me, this idea of mastering myself, as if I were in an isolation is not true. It has roots around in the environment, it has roots below in my subconscious. It has roots even in my heredity, it has roots in my past, it has roots in the cells which have been struggling to survive and grow through trillions of years. So self-mastery is not as simple as I just look within and work it out. I am saying if we want to do it honestly, not just a facade and having some peace within or a feel-good factor, that's easy. So we are not talking of that, but something far deeper, a deeper engagement with oneself. So then we discover the springs of our action come from three or four roots and unless we recognize them, they will always be chaos. So there are things which are like patterns which come from our deep-rooted subconscious nature common to humanity and common to animality from whom we have evolved and common to the minuscule cell they respond, react simple thing like fear in the body it's a very important thing to be you know if we really want to conquer ourselves these are the forces it's right there it's right within the cells the shrinking it's right there in the subconscious nature they are like patterns can we really conquer it by the power of the mind? It will be an illusion to believe that. 
that's we'll come to that a little later where where does the power to mastery come from the second is all around in the environment that's why it has been said and rightly so that we should be careful of the company we keep should be very careful of the people with whom we interact and interchange all the time even exchanges over phone because if we do that we will be engaging in sisyphus labor or you know that famous story of penelope must have heard that story what was penelope doing to keep her suitors away it's from the greek mythology so um when odysseus is gone for war penelope is a wise and beautiful woman and all the people in those that time greece want to marry her so she doesn't know what to do because the mighty warrior is away so she says okay i am knitting a shawl and when it is over then i'll marry one of you they say okay they don't want to force it because they are afraid of odysseus that if he comes back this fellow is a you know like our arjuna so so what she does is morning she knits the shawl and night she undoes it so they say is it over no no see only this much is done so this is how we um, you know our self mastery process goes on we try something for some time during the day and at night it's gone when we meet with people it's gone and next day we are the same person so it's a package when we sign in for self mastery it's a lifetime change it's like not a few minutes a few hours half an hour i'll sit meditate try something other says that it's it's not enough that uh, you know when i go out in friends i'll just forget myself and forget the goal it's not that one doesn't have to go out but one should be conscious inside where one is flowing in speech how one is flowing in speech in feelings in actions in thoughts in impulses which means a whole field of observation when we meet and interact with people so that's the second part it comes from all around us and the third source which is of course a good source is it comes from above the rare inspirations that go unnoticed the help that comes which goes unnoticed i don't know whether uh, i'm sure everyone must have made this observation mother speaks about it and i have made it uh, within myself number of times how grace has come and done something within minutes which would have taken long time or which one was struggling with but because of one's own foolishness one has called back the same movement priest i have noticed that i have noticed both when you don't call back what happens and when you call back what happens i often share this uh, story uh, which takes us to the next level that you know our mind cannot show it doesn't show many things it puts everything under the wraps it is only when the real flame is lit inside that we begin to even see what is there that needs to change otherwise there is a constant process of self justification and an inability a blindness you know mother speaks of these four asuras falsehood unconsciousness darkness and suffering it's so strange if we really look at it they prevent us from discovering the true master inside us suffering 
We have heard that suffering is the royal road to the divine. Sometimes this love for suffering, this vicious need almost for pain, unconsciousness, we don't see. I mean, at least I'm sure everybody has walked a long time on the path and must have seen that in the beginning we had such a good view of ourselves. And as we start moving, we see, oh no, it's not really like that. There was a lady who came to mother and started engaging in yoga. After three years, she said, what have you done to me? So mother smiled and said, what happened? She said, when I came here, I had very good impression about myself and about people. Now after three years, I see all the rot inside me and I see all the rot outside. At least it's better that she was seeing also inside her. Otherwise, <laughs> actually it's a two-stage process. First we see outside. Then we begin to see inside. So mother smiled and said, go one more step further. What is that step further? She says, now start seeing the divine in all beings. Now that step takes time. And that's the most important step without which the first thing is we begin to become aware of all the imperfection inside which we are not aware. You know, this is the big challenge with those of us who have a degree. You know, degree, MBBS, MD, MA, MLIT, professor. We have this illusion of knowledge which is so dangerous. When we turn within we see that really speaking we don't know anything about anything. This humility is so important to move further on the path. All these are important as part of the deal. But then about this story, and that's where you know Mother says that what you cannot do with your own efforts, you can do it with the help of the grace. And that's what I think we should focus upon. And in my life I had a very strange experience of this kind, several experiences, but the journey to yoga almost began with this experience because like many of us, our youngsters, just medical graduates, thinking we are some big guys and smoking is in fashion. If you have a cigarette in the hand, you look very great intellectual doctors, not realizing we are setting a bad example for the patient. So I got into that and then I realized after a few months, it's a bad habit after all. So started every kind of effort that I could to quit smoking. Simple thing like quitting smoking. Forget about self-mastery. And I realized how weak I am. So I tried methods like I will smoke only costly brands. So all my pilot friends who would go out would get for me costly brands. Because they realized that Doc is taking costly brands. So they wanted to make me happy. This is how we make people happy. Strange. But anyways, they were doing out of goodwill. They would get, ah, Doc, we got this cigarette for you. <laughs> I would just say, my God, <laughs> making it worse for me. Then I said, okay, I will not keep anything in the house. So in Jorhat, where, you know, you may have creeping snakes on the road, I would still walk at night to get a cigarette all the way, one and a half kilometers and justify it as a post-dinner walk, which after all is good. So whatever little laughter effects of cigarettes, still, you know, uh, I am taking a walk post-dinner. So it went on to three, four, two, three, four, like that. Then I gave up. I said, you know, it's, it's beyond. Okay, it's okay. It doesn't harm me so much. That's how my mind worked. Till for the first time I stood before a picture of mother. How I went there, it's a different story. But to come to that, the first thing that happened, the first, we may use the word command or, you know, darshan ka effect. 
as i am standing before first after many many years because of my a kind of agnosticism had developed because the way i saw people in religion and religious places so i just bored like this which was very strange because after a long time i had bored uh, bored down spontaneously and i hear a voice here stop smoking stop smoking this and when i came out i was a free man never had the urge after few months i said how can this be possible my rational mind was saying it's not possible so i asked my friend for a cigarette and i put to my mouth and i coughed just the way i coughed when i took my first puff and i said i would be foolish to you know start it again so fortunately that was out sometimes the grace can work in other ways so i'm just saying that interventions of grace how they can help us so the other bad habit was not because of being a doctor but because of my military antecedents so i during internship took to drinking so very good <laughs> so <laughs> again realized that i can get hooked on to it and one day we had a program after teaching us how to fight guns with guns battles three days we had a course and third day we were all on a high so with high spirits i had the spirit and slept unconscious woke up to see that i had vomited blood and from that morning somebody told me anything to do with alcohol and i would feel like vomiting for three four months the term alcohol was for me like it's hell automatically now these two stories basically to show two ways that grace can work so while we talk of self mastery as purely some kind of a uh, mental exercise holding back certain things in nature but it sometimes either a catharsis and exhaustion or sometimes it goes to the very roots of things which we can't understand why was i hooked on to smoking the roots had gone in the cells my body needed it it was almost like you know the body would begin to suffer that's what withdrawal is about and the mental will cannot go there maybe in our odd person it may but it's very difficult to reach out to that level and work out which only the grace can because it knows all the secret springs of our action where they are coming from and it can work both ways sometimes it can be a very instantaneous thing or sometimes it leads us through consequences you know shubindu speaks of these four stages when we work towards an evolutionary journey first is a tendency begins to emerge so this is the third thing necessary what is the timing how to approach this self mastery so for every tendency there is a season that's why in ancient india we had the four varnashramas if you use this correctly it's a wonderful thing so in adolescence there is there are certain tendencies which come out naturally in nature then in the next stage of life they have to be slowly exhausted through sanyama not through nigraha it's not like putting a cap over our natures which is what we unfortunately many times think that self mastery is about that it takes different route altogether so we gradually regulate it making the brunt its power weaker and weaker and weaker till a time comes when finally it is very weak partly it is exhausted partly it has become weak and then just a little action and it's completely goes out of nature 
so there are steps and stages and this process continues throughout life that was the whole idea of living a life in the true way so very often adolescents they must go through what they must go through if we try to stop them now then at 40 they will be naughty which is not a very good thing at 40 they should be thinking of you know <laughs> more beautiful things but probably because they have been grown up in a very traditional way or else when there is too much control the true things you know often what we call is a bad tendency is a good in the making so it's a very complex structure when we look at human nature trenchantly we try to cut things into good and bad many things which we call as bad are actually good in the making and if you cut them out there like children who revolt i remember a classic thing which mother's grand granddaughter told me she you know as a youngster she was studying in france and she was much misunderstood by everyone so she heard that my grandma is there in pondicherry and you know she can do wonders so she came all the way and she came to meet her grandmother who is the divine mother and she this story she herself told me she said i told her you know i am a very bad girl who oh, is it says mother smile you know i get very angry and everybody tells me they have given up on me i can't study any further so i have come to you can you do something about me so mother just told her one thing no no you are not a bad girl you are a very fine girl it's just that you have not been understood all your revolt is because you have not been understood and then she stayed on her life changed this simple thing so self mastery over what it's not always about bad and good and bad goes into the background and good comes up it's also about a change of what we call as bad into its good equivalent and change of good into its divine equivalent that's the whole journey so very frankly self mastery without self transformation at least for me it sounds an absurdity because what is that power with the mind and the tendency is still there it will remain in the subconscious nature that's precisely what mother and shubhendu say that unless you root it out from the very cells and from the subconscious it is going to remain it will be a facade you know like that famous poem of shubhendu he said i am egoless free then swore because his dinner was not ready and then he says it's not me my belly god who is unsteady so this kind of a uh, half hearted work it's much better that we take it that it's a long journey and in this journey most important is that the grace is there with us and this grace is there to help us and carry us on this journey so more and more from the beginning we lean on the grace and we the first task should be to give this life to make it very clearly that goal is what if the goal is to serve the divine to install the divine presence within to constantly focus on the divine within and to hand over the charge of our life and our destiny to the divine and how is to do it very simple very very simple every one old sadhika gyan ben very very deep lady she once told a group of youngsters something very beautiful she was asked she was going through cancer blood cancer that time they came and asked her that like uh, tell us something about sadhana so she said she laughed and said you know sadhana is very simple so what is very simple she said every day we go morning to the samadhi 
and tell the mother, this is my work today. Give me the strength, give me the energy, give me all that is necessary for the work. Then sometimes we are in a good mood, sometimes we are in a bad mood. All that we do is to go to the Samadhi and just offer it to her. And then strangely and magically it just vanishes like that urge to smoke. And we walk out a free man. Countless times we walk out a free man. And this is the process that we do throughout our life. Of course, the only thing here is that the Samadhi is not just outside, but the Samadhi is also within us. And it's most important. And Sri says that this is the most important thing to discover the Master within us. So, that is the most important thing, to live for the sake of the Divine, to offer our work to the Divine, to let our love and thoughts flow toward the Divine. And then what happens, how does self-mastery come? Because the Divine energy begins to flow into our system. It's an exchange offer. What we give, we give what we are. And we get what the Divine can give. Let me close with that beautiful story that how this exchange offer comes. Because we have time, we should keep half an hour at least for question answers. So the stories of Kevar, many of us would have heard, heard this story from Ramayana of the boatman, footman and Rama. Fine. So the story is very beautiful and touching that Rama had been told to go to the forest, vanished into the forest. So he is going with his with Sita and Lakshmana and they have to take a boat to cross the river Saryu. And the boatman first tells him, I want to wash your feet. So Rama will not allow. He said, no, no, I am afraid. You touch some stone and it turned into a woman. If my boat turns into a woman, I will have two women to take care and with no means of earning. So that way he cleans, cleanses and then he is in the boat. Now the interesting part is, when uh, Sita tells Rama that he has taken us across, we must give him something. What to give now? He has no money. Everything is left. So Sita says, I will give my gold ring finger because that's what I have. So when he tries to give it to, to the boatman, so the boatman says, I don't want to accept this. He says, why do you want more? He says, no, no, you are just uh, not giving a good offer. So what's the good offer? He says, see, you are doing the same job as me. So I just want an exchange offer. So what's the exchange offer? He says, I have carried you across, sir, you, you carry me across the Bhavsagar of life. That's all. So you want an exchange offer. I have done my bit, you do your bit. And it's so true. The mother would tell the human body that, you know, you do my work, I'll do your work. This is the original exchange that always stands valid. And very often we hesitate in this giving because we, we don't know, you know, human mind calculates. All this is very nice to talk to. But does it really work? And those who, have, uh, who are in the know-how of the mystic life, they feel that there is nothing which we can ever give which can be enough for what we get back in return that other story with which we can close now otherwise stories will come and the story is about Amir Khushro so he wants to meet his master Nizamuddin Aliyah 
heard, must have heard about this. So, meanwhile, somebody goes to Nizamuddin, says, my daughter is getting married, I need some money. So he says, I don't have anything, money with me, I am a fakir, but you can take my shoes. He takes the shoes, but he is with a heavy heart, he says, what will I do with the shoes? I can't sell it as an antique, but anyways, he says, master has given, I will carry so as he is carrying the shoes from the other side, Amir Kusro is coming to meet the master. And Amir Kusro is a minister, so he has all the horses and elephants and what not in his retinue. And he sees this man coming with the shoes. So he says, whose shoes are these? He says, Nizamuddin. He says, will you give it to me? So the fellow says, yes, but for a price. So... Then Amir Khusro says, how much? He says, you decide. So Amir Khusro says, if all this that is there in my retina, if I give you, will you give me these sandals? Now he is shocked, he can't imagine. <laughs> he says, yes, of course. And he goes back to the master carrying the shoe on his feet, or on his head. Comes and places it as a, at the feet of Nizamuddin. So Nizamuddin asks him, how expensive was this? And his reply is such an eye-opener. He said, Master, I got it very cheap. There is nothing, nothing that we call as valuable in life when it comes to offering to the Divine Master. Because what he does is, in return, is something beyond our comprehension. Mother says, true surrender does not diminish you. It aggrandizes you. When I had read this word, I was surprised. Generally, the word aggrandizement is used in a little negative sense. The divine aggrandizes you. Why? Because he touches in that personality like a master strokes man, puts things in the place and weaves a beautiful image out of what we thought was worthless. That is the beauty of the master. So the more we install the master within and give him, not with this idea that he will aggrandize us, Obviously, that's not the idea. But with the joy of self-giving, then the rest of the journey is very easy. And really speaking, nothing else is required after that. No method, no technique, but just giving oneself more and more. And this giving can extend to every heartbeat, every breath of our existence. There is always something that we can give. So I'll just uh, stop here and let, let's have some interactions. Yes, comment, reflections, add something. Or even sharing some experience. Yes, please. Why should we aim at self-mastery when we have the master within us? 
there are two ways of looking at it one is you know to make his task a little easier because <laughs> effort and grace do not exclude each other but one prepares for the other let me put it like this supposing i have this tumbler full and i ask for some sharbat in this tumbler so what will be the first thing to do i must take it empty this container and then only sharbat can be put of course we can't stretch it to that extent that someone can give me in another so this tumbler if the master has to pour his energies when we have done nothing no effort at all then it may lead to a tremendous chaos inside he'll still pour and he'll still do but then we have to be prepared for a long drawn process because there will be a terrible battle when you know a part in us is alleging itself to the master and another part or a large chunk it's like two hands one given to the master and the other given to the demon within us or to the ego self within us so it will the master will not be able to exercise all his uh, potential all his power because if it does so it would mean will be split into two parts there are people who lose their heart, mind in the process so he will never exercise the full power because he knows if he does that even he seem to as if being pulled towards the other side because there is the only way left for him to enter right into the heart of the uh, enemy grounds and sort out there but it will be a very um, like an inner battlefield and a terrible battle because if we our being owes its allegiance to the darkness whereas some little part wants light to come then there will be chaos inside much better that our being owes its allegiance to light calls the light that's what shubindu speaks of as central sincerity that much is required a central faith central sincerity central surrender then agree that our efforts is very limited anybody who believes that by his own or her own effort of the mind mental will he can master it just living in an illusion let the person live in an illusion and uh, discover it for oneself each one discovers that mental will has a limitation but nevertheless this very effort towards doing it helps the process and the working of the master so they don't exclude each other they can very well complement each other i do my little bit and the main part is give, done by the master and it helps and one of the simple things like obedience let's say a child goes inside and says mama you are arranging my room i'll help you now there are two ways of helping one is the child says i am going to do this corner my way you do the rest of the room mamas don't like it they say okay then listen to me you pick up this put it there isn't it so what is it obedience that mama asks us to do certain things and we do it that way and it helps us to in the working it cuts the time that's the second part because we want to reach the land of delight that's the goal in one sense the the rishis now why should we prolong suffering by just sitting lazily so we should do our bit it may be very small doesn't matter but that little bit helps immensely the working of the grace it allows a point of support that little bit may be simply remembering an offering just to do the because otherwise the next logical thing will be why should we even call the master everything belongs to him he knows it and he can do it 
which he will and he is but the time taken and the suffering involved will be tremendous it's not that the divine depends on us but when we collaborate in the process it becomes easier swifter smoother less painful and much faster that's the only difference also because we have to make an offering now you know is what you just did he put things on stake which were not his now imagine if somebody comes and says can i take this glass and i tell him that i give this glass to you what what would it mean this glass is not mine to start with it's i can't give i would the logical answer would be please ask someone else you can drink the water but if you want to take the glass home please ask someone else because it's not mine so first step in self mastery is individualization mother speaks of it I, it may be there as as a subject i don't know but individualization is where you gather certain elements of nature and put them in the house then we make an offering so self mastery is a process in the course of which we acknowledge certain forces of nature which are nevertheless universal but we acknowledge them as moving within us and we say that this is yours if we have not engaged in that then offering will have no meaning because there is nothing really which we can call as you know something which we have gathered third is that if these forces of nature within us are in disarray then even the effort to contact the master let's say simple act of concentration people often say that you know one of the things needed is to concentrate they say that well i am not able to concentrate sometimes simply because there is no energy why because all the energy has been given to the bhutas and the pishachas so they are dancing when we are sitting for meditation but they are they are coming for food because we have given that energy to them let's say simple thing like why is brahmacharya it's not a simple thing but why is it so much emphasized upon because it's a tremendous reservoir of energy which you conserve and when you do that concentration becomes so much swifter i mean it's it's a real experience that you can concentrate so beautifully and fast your bodily health improves your mental vigor improves so when you are presenting yourself to the master of course even otherwise the master will help if somebody is not able to one says please help me in this part the master will help and especially in this part which which is a long struggle in most human beings but if one can do a some extent of at least sanyama and self mastery it helps tremendously even in concentration otherwise there is no energy left most of the people have this problem so all this self mastery is part of the long process of self giving i can give only that which i mastered because now it's mine if i am a slave to this energy i can't give it frankly speaking so it's one process effort and grace uh, an ideal sadhak combines the two very beautifully it's a balance inner balance and uh, my own way is that keep putting in effort be sincere and then keep on offering knowing that your effort is nothing before the grace and also this effort is possible also because of grace so with that attitude that's the way i follow and that's how i look at my cigarette thing also
that because I tried and tried and tried but not succeeded, it was so much more easier for grace to act. So success doesn't matter, but this effort helps in the opening the being to the grace and helping the grace do its work. Ultimately, only grace can achieve it. Yes, please. So this happens mostly when we just sit lazily. It's not that that's the modus operandi of the divine. This is sometimes means real sometimes. And it's not that the grace brings it. It allows. Because you know we constantly it is rescuing. We want to put our hand back in the fire, back in the fire, back in the fire. Thousand times, ten thousand times. Then time and we are just lazy doing nothing about it. That's when it says okay one day you know what it means to get burnt. So this sometimes is a real, very rare phenomenon, but it is a process also used by the grace, but in a controlled way. That's where the example of alcohol, that you know, one vomited blood, but then in the bargain. So I often look at it like this and I have seen it actually. Whenever um, I have a fever, whenever I have seen fever is always a purifying process. Certain tendencies are washed away from the cellular consciousness from the bodily being which were holding their roots there so I am talking of this not that there will be a cancer and things like that not, not that but things which will help it to go away from the bodily from the body cells and the divine when we offer to him allow him to work he knows how much we can take so we shouldn't worry about it he is very considerate and compassionate he is a master he knows this fellow cannot take beyond. Some people who are ready for, you know, offering their entire body in the Havankund of sacrifice, do with me whatever you can. Shubhinda was asked this, that uh, about uh, Mahakali's method. She says, Mother very rarely uses this. It's only on a very rare disciple. One of them I can Remember and think of his Amrita. Must have heard his story. He was so surrendered like a child. One of those, he was born just near Pondicherry. And he was born who had recognized Shurabindu as the divine before Shurabindu was coming here. Amazing. And um, full of a sense of humor. And mother could, he said, if I tell him anything, he will take it. If I scold him. As you rightly said, otherwise the mind brings in doubts. So doubts and fear, they are very dangerous. So then we have to offer even the doubt and the fear to remove them. I think it's a basic thing that uh, when we take up this approach to life, that the divine knows much better than what we know what is good for us. That's the fundamental trust in God. And we should keep reminding ourselves that Whatever be the appearances, however difficult it looks right now, the Divine knows and is carrying me through it. And if we keep that faith intact, everybody will come out and look back and see that that was the real shortcut. 
as someone has said wisdom is the light that comes after facing the storm i don't think there is anybody who goes through um and reaches 60 without facing these inner storms it's not possible but as practical steps we can start in uh, you know with the immediate field of our working a practical of course if one can do it straight away with that wide opening that while walking uh, talking that the tree the uh, seeds initially it start with an imagination that there is a divine presence now it's very easy to do it with nature i'm sure everybody knows it relatively easier to do it with animals very difficult to do it with human beings because in human beings somewhat something a dim disturbing gives the mind that wails the ego self so with human beings a simple way is to try it in the immediate field those who are working with us those whom we are associated with in everyday life you know yakwalk says that one does not love the wife for the sake of the wife but for the sake of the self one does not love the child for the sake of the child but for the sake of the self one does not love the country for the sake of the country but for the sake of the self so you know with friends with those who are close to us we start changing our orientation that they are not meant for my ego satisfaction but they are divine beings who are there around us and i need to take care of them just as i would you know someone who is uh, like an embodiment or holding the divine inside so i need to take care of them not because what they will give back to me but because it's my chance of you know worshiping the divine it can then extend on to next level i am just sharing the steps that i have taken maybe you know there are other ways so another step is that especially for us we are in one sense shaktas worshipers of the divine mother see every woman as an aspect of the divine mother so you know women are very caring somebody will um, cook something give you somebody will Uh, ask if something and all these are aspects of the divine mother and when a woman is angry uh, she is durga and kali pointing out <laughs> something which is and if we practice it actually you know i am not joking i am pretty serious about this issue that if we start with this incomplete but the tantra stops there that see all women as devis uh, shobindu says why only women extend it also to men so but i am saying the relative difficulty it's easier to see the divine in women among the two species than to see in man <laughs> then after that come uh, come on to you know human beings others at large and a time comes when even i look at my enemy and see krishna's face so there are steps and stages of this journey it starts with probably you know meditating upon the divine in all things all beings probably it's much easier with the plant the trees uh, inanimate nature and then it goes on to you know people in your immediate life 
your colleagues, your what we call as workers, we should treat them as if they are divine. So you know our whole dealing will change. And then of course um, those who immediately depend upon us, the women and then the men and then the transgenders and everybody, the whole creation. <laughs> but that's how it Yes, please. Yes. So this is a, a common issue that you know family members and sometimes even in workplace people do things to annoy us. So um, that is a very simple way to deal with it is to look clearly that whether there is some truth in their statement or not. Sometimes there may be truth. It's a good way of self-study. And those whom divine has marked out for evolution, uh, the divine makes sure that around us there are people who will do things to annoy us <laughs> because uh, we won't criticize ourselves. There are people who will tell us you, you are an idiot. So you know, look inside and see, did I do this very idiotically? It's a challenge to the ego. So they are actually helping us to break down the uh, walls of the ego to make them more malleable if we look at it in the right way. And then if they have said something which is um, uh, true, then change inside. And if they have said something which you, after a hard look, you realize, no, it's a misunderstanding. Then just pray to the divine to take care of this misunderstanding, to bring peace to their heart. And the magical remedy in all this is love. See, in human relationship, uh, uh, you know, when people love, then they don't get the return. So what is the normal response? Normal response is, uh, see, how much I love and the other person didn't love. That's the normal response. But if you want to do abnormal or supernormal things, then the normal response won't work. So what is the supernormal response? My love is not enough. Or the quality is not enough. That's how the mother used to, has done and continues to do. Imagine if once the divine said, My God, I have done so much for you people. You are good for nothing, chaps. Where will you stand? So, you know, we learn from the master. How the mother is loved. There is a lady who threw the roses mother gave to her, she threw back and said, You don't love me. I don't love you. I don't care. I am going. And she is going in that half of anger. And she is beginning to pack her things and mother sends um, Vasudha Ben with a card. So in the card, of course, uh, mother has written that, you know, I want you to stay and how much, whatever she has written. But she sent a message also with uh, not sent a message but Vasudha Ben shares with her you know what mother said as soon as you left what I don't want to hear anyways you tell me that mother said she doesn't know how much she loves me now look at the sentence it's not that she doesn't know how much I love her that would be different she doesn't know how much she loves me after all this thing so Basically, we have to see behind appearances. A lot of quarrels happen because there is love inside. And I do believe, not believe, but have seen that bitterness, fights, they are all on the surface. Deep inside, there is only love. And where there is love, this surface consciousness reacts like this. Also because we have put relations in frames. That's another big problem because mind cannot work without frames. 
so this is wife this is child now moment you say wife husband child there are uh, it's a package means these are do's and don'ts child means is your property he must behave the way you want but if you really look at it in a more wider way that child woman man who is coming to your life you are a trustee and what you need to give is the truest possible love that you can to anybody who comes in our life whether they respond don't respond whether they react your source of love is the divine so when we turn towards the true source we are never uh, agitated and when people get very angry at us then what will we do we will go to and pray what prayer we should do when somebody is very angry with us let's what should we pray please heal them bring them peace even as much as today someone yesterday was very angry with someone i said you know what what you should do what should should i do all of the go go to samadhi just pray for that person pray that you know the person is in peace see it was like a aha moment so morning i get a message on whatsapp thank you lord it was such a beautiful experience i had i never knew that doing this will give me so much happiness <laughs> yes exactly if somebody is angry with you who is suffering that person is suffering first anger is a poison the person is carrying inside so it's a whole approach to life so uh, self mastery is not just a you know compartmentalized process it's a constant process throughout life where every experience can can become an occasion to learn and I want to wonder about my sleep. Uh, I am I am a very the gas sleeping habit. Uh, I am a I go to bed very late and uh, late at night. So I get food late into morning. So I am so much so getting your sleep. So any habit we have to go step by step. As I said, Sayama. now what will be unnatural is let's say somebody is sleeping at 1 o'clock and getting up at 9 to say you must sleep at 9 it doesn't work out like that so instead of one you start shifting it by it 12 30 12 o'clock then one has to see that if up till that last point what were they doing some people keep watching tv or you know or they have kept certain triggers for sleep so uh, this uh, if you watch television especially exciting news it becomes very difficult because mind is put on a hold then the third thing which is the where the whole problem comes so what do i do so one of the suggestions that uh, works which i give is that okay you decide a time that 12 o'clock is my sleeping time 11:30 11:45 switch off the lights lie down in the bed stretch so the next thing is sleep doesn't come still till 1 o'clock doesn't matter see this this uh, if we get into that mode after a while because we are unlearning a habit and of course offering the sleep to divine and meditation all that is understood so i am not talking about that but something very pragmatic if you want to change the sleep timing go step by step from 1 o'clock it won't be 9 o'clock it will be probably 12 o'clock midnight and then around that time start stretching out whatever music this that call these are little efforts which will help eventually one day for the grace to change now if we persist in this mode maybe maximum two months usually within a month slowly around 12 o'clock you will see that the eyes tend to go to sleep 
because but what should not be done is to see the watch to see the time you know am i really sleeping no half an hour is over no take it like you are training yourself and that's it go into a relaxation mode so if you practice it 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 will be over not that it's a very bad thing now because times are changing uh, most children nowadays sleep by i think 1 o'clock it's it's probably the way nature is working out some kind of a new species whatever it is <laughs> yeah so we can stop here maybe okay one last question we can take maybe if you come here they i i mean hello and so my question is what do you say is the instrument of the master like is it more a feeling or would you say is it more a deep knowledge that you know that you are on the right path good good question instrument channel many things you know and uh, we should be very careful that there is i'm first giving a little proviso to it what does it mean to be an instrument of the master now um, we should be careful that our egoism doesn't enter into now a new mode i am an instrument of the master i am a channel of the master <laughs> ego can find thousand masks even there is an ego of the instrumentality so this is one part of it but it means to present ourselves to the master to decide what he wants to do with it now at in the in the depths it's an aspiration now this aspiration may take the form of a feeling or a prayer depending upon the person but it's an aspiration that i want my life to be yours what you do with it is up to you so instrument is not just that i must do big things then the ego will come in but instrument can be anything we are let's say if somebody is cooking uh, a food now it may not look big in the eyes of world but a food cooked as an instrument of the divine imagine it's a prashad without realizing and all who are eating it are benefited from it even though people may not know what you have done very quietly instrument may also mean you are neither doing anything nor cooking nor speaking nothing but you are just sitting in the presence of people but because you are an instrument the master uses you as a pedestal to allow his presence to flow into basically the master now takes possession of this body and mind that's all that is required so it comes by constant offering through an aspiration it's the fire of aspiration that carries the havi in the vedas to the source without aspiration if it just a wish it doesn't work so this aspiration to offer the body and mind so that the master can use it as he wants he may not want to use it at all fair enough he may just want that you sit quietly at one place and still he may be using it just the presence is enough that's what the mother says that people who are open to the divine even the fact that they are living and breathing in the world puts certain forces in contact now this aspiration as i said may translate as a thought a prayer a feeling but it will not stay there if we continue in the process there will be a time when we will see very very concrete effects of what it means to give a few examples you are very unwell whatever there may be a big pain somewhere and you know uh, 
or you may be running a high fever and you have to do some work which is the master's work and when you observe that during this period or even before that everything vanishes and you are enthused filled with that joy you know enthusiasm is the word filled with that joy filled with that peace which comes because the master's energies have flown through you then repeated such experiences and you know that during that time it's the master who is working through and then this state becomes extends all through the day and you remain in a state of constant joy and peace because you know your life belongs to the master who is carrying you then it becomes wonderful because you are in constant company of the lord just imagine for a moment what would be the inner state of someone who knows that the divine mother is all the time with the person will there be any fear will there be any jealousies ambitions i want to get this i want to get that that is self sufficient so it may start with a feeling a thought but it goes far deeper it will end up with transformation of the whole nature till there is no difference between you and the master in an essential sense not in the ultimate sense master is master you become a part and parcel of the master but no fundamental difference so it can go to that extent that what you say the master it's like tathastu the master will fulfill no ability it can work like that that a human instrument says so be it and the divine master fulfills it simply because there is no more any difference so it's a tremendous thing and uh, of course at every level one has to avoid the ego it's very very dangerous and it can wear the mask of a spiritual ego it becomes very much more dangerous than a normal human ego so that one has to be on the guard uh, it's not like outside one says i am the instrument of the lord but inside he is saying that see after all you know they regard me as someone great <laughs> then it's stupid then the master will put a nice dhobi pachad you know what is dhobi pachad take the cloth and put it on the ground to make us understand that look you are not yet clean cleansed enough <laughs> so so that one has to safeguard ego and the master don't go together people may say anything they may praise us criticize us pass it on it's no it doesn't belong to you okay thank you so much